0: Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. A little bit different today, we have a special guest. Jesse couldn't make it, so we are talking with Mike from Hypothetical, a what-if podcast. Normally I would have him introduce himself at this point in the show. However, we did pre-record this, and the first half of the show ended up being the first 45 minutes, and we talked nothing but basketball, so I cut that out. I just wanted to make sure that you guys knew that I was going to be working with Mike today, And that if you want to check out more of his podcast, which is hypothetical, a what if podcast, you can find him on Twitter at podcast underscore what if the premise of their show is to look at hypothetical situations. For example, what if the Death Star was real? I don't think that's one of their actual episodes. He did explain to me in our basketball segment, which is how we got off on a tangent. That one of theirs was What If Michael Jordan Didn't Retire. They had also interviewed John Grease, or Grice, who is an actor that we're going to be recasting today, about the movie Real Genius, which we're recasting, and the premise of the lasers. What if those lasers actually existed? So check them out. It's a great, great podcast, especially if you're into hypotheticals. Marvel's coming out with the What If series. I asked him off the air if they were going to sue Marvel to try to get some Royalties, And we both laughed about that But that's pretty much the premise of the show What if this happened What if this never happened What if we had X, Y, or Z Really cool concept Check it out They've got a bunch of episodes you can listen to Again, on Twitter That's at podcast underscore what if That said, here's the episode This is our recasting of the 1985 film Real Genius Okay Today, we are talking about Real Genius, the 1985 film originally directed by Martha Coolidge, who prior to this had directed Valley Girl and Joy of Sex and actually grabbed from some of those casts when she casted this film. The movie's an hour and 46 minutes long. I do like to read a quick plot synopsis, which I pull off of Wikipedia. And it is this, when science whiz Mitch Taylor arrives at Pacific Tech as a freshman, he's paired with genius senior Chris Knight to work on a laser project. Mitch originally does not care for Knight's slacker attitude, but is eventually won over, and their friendship allows them to make new progress on the laser project. It's only when the boys learn that the government intends to use the laser as a weapon that they start to question what they've actually been working for. So I know we talked about it a little bit before we got into it. You mentioned that you had John Grease on the show or John Grice, uh, which is the pronunciation correct?
1: I think it's Grice. From everything I've, I've listened to, it's Grice. I found myself saying Grease for the longest time, but once we started talking to him, I believe it's Grice. Okay. And he yeah. played Laszlo
0: in this and obviously great character in the film, but you were talking about how he had some insight into some of the things going into making this film, some of the things that he noticed
1: about it or that you noticed and he agreed with. Yeah, yeah. His father was uh, like a legendary director himself, right? So he's kind of one of those actors that's actually grown up in Hollywood. So even though he's been like more or less a character actor, he's also kind of had his ear close to whatever project he's been on. Even before this film, he had a, a very close friendship with Val Kilmer. Him and Val were uh, close friends whenever they were younger actors so of course there was a friendship that he had with him and one of the insights that he had led about this film that uh, john had given us before the end of the 80s on into the 90s you know yeah there was like the john hughes films and everything right but this was one of the films he had felt that aimed to talk to its young audience instead of talking at it Instead of feeding it sort of like a line of like, well, this is what you should like. And this is what you, this is what you should, you know, you know, this is the ideal. It, it was just sort of like talking to its audience and sort of saying, do you find this right? Do you find this wrong? Can you identify the, with these characters? In his opinion, it was one of the last uh, of the 80s to do that before everything started to become a little more formulaic.
0: I think that if that was the intention of the film. Then it's the perfect vehicle using college to do that because college is typically where young adults find out who they're going to be as adults. And so, most of these movies, like you're talking about, John Hughes movie, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, first Bueller's Day Off, they take place in high school when you're still a high school kid, licensed yeah. to drive, right? And then you get into a movie like more adult, like Bachelor Party, which was an 80s movie, but that's an adult movie. So, you can't quite identify with that as a kid. So, using college particularly somebody like Mitch, who goes to college at 15, 16, right? He was like an early graduate and pairing him with Knight, I think allowed that younger audience to kind of experience college, you know, like to kind of find themselves instead of being in high school and experiencing high school, which they already are, or being an adult, which they can't relate to. It was this coming of age almost from that 16, 17 year old to a 21 year old coming of age story.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. And part of that was the script. And I don't know if this was the conversation that uh, we had had with John that made it into the episode or that we'd had just had with him outside of the episode. but um, we discussed with him. He had said that a lot of that sort of how well that worked was also due to the director. The touch that she brought to the film and the sort of way she approached it was kind of what gave it that sort of character. She allowed each actor to sort of like take the character where they thought it was comfortable, like within the script in some films that doesn't always work out. But like in this film, I think it works out really well because it seems like regardless of wherever they went after this film, each one of these actors fall within a roles really well. Each of them sort of nails what their character is very well.
0: And I know that you said that you had it on a VHS tape that it was kind of a movie that you were introduced to and you watched a lot. I had that similar situation with the Neverending story.
1: It was on a VHS oh, okay. and I just
0: watched it a lot, but with Real Genius, my introduction to it actually was after I was probably 20. So this I didn't get to see it at a younger age, even though I'm old enough to have seen it. And I watched a lot of movies at a younger age. Yeah. I didn't really see this until I was in my 20s. And I remember me and my sister watching it. I don't know how it was on TV or where we ran into it. It wasn't even at the beginning. But we both laughed out loud the scene where Knight is trying to set up the mirrors for the the lasers.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know he
0: tells Mitch to go fix something in the back. And Mitch is like, I'm having a hard time with this or whatever it is.
1: How you doing there, Mitch? Fine. Don't rush me. Okay, just take your time. Everything's fine. What is taking so long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a relatable film now, but it definitely has its '80s isms in it too. You know, I would honestly say in this movie, my favorite characters are. Mitch and Chris and Laszlo. Nothing against any of the other characters, because even the small characters in this film are kind of fun in their own way. Like, you know, Ikigami and even the throwaway characters are interesting. If we had a, a longer format, then it would be fun to even pick at the smaller versions, you know, the smaller things. But yeah, no, no, no. It's it's weird how infectiously enjoyable a young Val Kilmer was at that point in time.
0: And one of the things that I usually say when I'm grading a movie is the rewatchability of the film. And yeah. this movie's so rewatchable, like I can oh, just yeah. watch it every week and I wouldn't get sick of it because the humor still is funny and uh, yeah. it has my kind of humor. So I don't like slapstick, fart joke, puke joke kind of humor. <laughs> I like a little bit more of a. I mean, it, it has its place. I love Step Brothers, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But I like a more subtle. Like I laugh harder with the subtle comedy and i think of the scene with hathaway right when he's having his house remodeled mm-hmm. and he says something like i have a college degree that's why you're laborers what
1: are you looking at you're laborers you're supposed to be laboring that's what you get for not having an education <laughs> <That>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah and i always yeah. laugh at that. that's such a funny line <laughs> well yeah like that lends itself to kind of what we what me and josh had talked about in, in this movie is that like i'm not saying that like newer films don't have this because some of them do, but in this movie, the character actors matter almost as much as the main actors. If you didn't have someone who played a jerk as awesomely as Hathaway did, then it wouldn't be as fun. He's believable because I know
0: people like him. Like yeah. I know people that have their college degree and think they're smarter and better than everybody.
1: You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That that, and also you see Hathaway, and you think to yourself. Oh, the asshole inspector from Ghostbusters, right? right <laughs> <You know? exactly. laughs> yeah, I've seen this jerk before, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you because this is a movie that you had brought up. Do you want to start things off with Chris Knight, or do you want me to start things off? How do you want to roll with that?
1: I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, I'll let you start out, and then then I'll chime in. If you want to switch up along the way, that's fine. I mean, like, um, okay. I'm the guest on you on your guy's show, so you know, right. go whichever way you'd like to.
0: Yeah, it's just like a kickoff in football. I usually give people the first option. They can call it the heads and whatever, and then we just go flip, flap, back and forth. Who leads off the next character? That'll work. Um, So yeah, so Chris Knight is played by Val Kilmer. He's 25 years old when he takes this role. Prior to this role, he was in a 1984 movie called Top Secret, and this was a year before he did Top Gun. So nobody really knew. This was his first starring role that he got to be in. Looking at this character, obviously, Knight is hilarious. I think he's so funny. The opening scene where he's at the job interview and they ask him why he's wearing the thing on his head. And he's says, like,
1: why is that toy on your head? Because if I wear it anywhere else, it chafes. <laughs>
0: and that's just kind of his attitude throughout the entire film, just kind of not taking anything seriously. And yeah. what I loved about him is that he is smarter than everybody else, but he doesn't act like he's smarter than everybody else. I almost think he plays dumb to fit in more or to be cooler. I don't know. Like maybe it's not cool to be smart, which they do touch on in this film. Yeah, but that whole it's not cool to be smart. So he tries not to seem as smart as he is. So looking at his character, I said, I wanted somebody good looking and confident because the reality of the situation is that Val Kilmer is good looking and his character is confident. I wanted somebody who would be the mixture of like the frat guy, party boy, but also as a genius, like you believe that he's incredibly intelligent, but he has to be fun. You know, you can't just pick a nerdy person to be him. And he has to be believable as a college student. So I ended up going with an actor, not a huge name, just like Val wasn't at the time, who is actually 32 years old. He doesn't look it, but he was in Gods of Egypt. He was in Dead Men Tell No Tales, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. He was in Maleficent as Prince Philip. And that is Brendan Thwaites. I think that he has the right look and in the characters that he's played, again, in Dead Men Tell No Tales, Gods of Egypt. And whatnot, I feel like he has kind of played that mature but younger guy.
1: Okay, yeah, you know, I, 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 I could see that. That would definitely be like you had said, sort of like he's done a few things, but he's not quite like known on a broader level. So yeah, I, I I could see that being sort of like his entrance into that. When it came to our picks, I just want to preface what I'm saying. When it came to our picks, even though it's just me appearing on here with you, I still considered my brother in on the picks. We both came at it with our, with our choices, and then we whittled it down together. We sort of bro- brothered it out, you know? So if you don't mind me interjecting what I had originally picked uh, and, then, and then what we came up with, is that fine? Oh, that's fine, yeah. Okay, so at one point in time, maybe five or ten years ago, the obvious pick for this role would have been Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Day in, day out, right? But he's getting to the point to where, yes, he's still young in a very, in a very general sense, but he would be too old for this role. So then we both thought about keeping in mind the era, keeping in mind, like what you'd said, someone who was smart but not overly smart, but you know, sort of jockey but not overly jockey, you know, like you'd said. And we decided to sort of get a legacy pick here, and what we just, the person we decided on is Jason Ritter. Okay. Yeah. Now that's uh, John Ritter's son. Yep. And he's been in a handful of movies, not as many as I'm aware of. I, I got to look up some of them. I can't honestly remember them off the top of my head right now, but a lot of where I saw some of his work off of was off of like his Instagram stuff and, or his TikTok. Right. And mm-hmm. he's got a very sort of off the wall, sense of humor like how val kimmer played it right you know he's definitely got the comedy chops that his father had and he still looks young enough to, to play someone who's a senior in college so uh, we decided to go with jason ritter because even whenever he sort of looks rough in some of the stuff that he films he still looks like he could go ahead and pull it off. And we really kind of liked his kookiness. And, and I think that was sort of an, an interesting part of, of Val Kilmer's character, Chris Knight, was like what you'd said. you know, He obviously is one of the smartest people in the room, but to him, it's not so damn important to be the smartest person in the room. He, he wants to sort of interact with everybody and just have fun. In my mind, he's the jaded smart guy. He knows what it took to get himself there. But now that he's got himself there, you know, he doesn't want to be an automaton. He wants to be a human. He wants to live a little. He quit caring so much about academics, you know, and realized that there was a life to live. So, yeah, so I think Jason, that's what we went with was Jason Ritter. Yeah,
0: and I like Jason Ritter in this pick. I actually feel like there's been at least a couple of movies that me and Jesse have recasted where he's ended up on my short list for different roles because he has that like college kind of look to him. And perfect. Like, again, he's kind of that borderline geek, but also not really a geek kind of thing, which is exactly yeah. I think, what you need. And he does have the sarcasm in his uh, comedic background, which I do like. I agree with you 100 percent. Van Wilder would have been perfect. You know? Yeah. Oh, because, yeah. But I, I understand what you're saying. That Obviously, Brian Reynolds is 50 now. You know, he's not going to pass as a 21 year old college student.
1: Yeah, he could have pulled it off maybe 10 years ago. Right. But uh, yeah, but he's gotten older now. I mean, he's in Deadpool, and I don't want to pull him away from Deadpool. You know, right? <laughs> That's, That works out well enough for him. But yeah, no, um, I, I honestly think that both choices that we've put out there would be good. It just depends on where you want to go. Either one of these picks, I think, is, is the kind that could give a stronger profile to these, either one of these guys.
0: And, and like you said, it depends on how things play out with the rest of the picks. And me and Jesse, I think, say that every episode after our first pick, which is usually the star of the movie we always say, all right, let's see where it goes from here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's so true though. It is, you know, it's Mitch. I had originally just had a litany of, of different sort of like younger guys, someone that I considered because he's at that same age, but I didn't want to get into the just picking from a same group of a series was it's not Finn Wolfhard, but it's, it's the other younger guy in stranger things. Oh, uh, Noah Schnapp? Yeah, Noah Schnapp. I'd originally had Noah Schnapp. But my brother brought up a good point. He's like, well, you know, you could. But I kind of acquiesced to him because he's like, if you want someone that's a little more proven, that can hang with the person you consider your star and kind of fit age wise. He made the suggestion of Tom Holland. Mm -hmm. Tom Holland kind of still, even for his age, he's not too much older now he's kind of approaching his mid twenties he still can pull off young very well and even though he has his sort of moments where he goes off and does his own stuff he's still very much like even in the marvel things like where he's like mr Start, He he still very much pulls off sort of like naive very well and lovable very well and in the movie mitch comes into this wanting to please his parents so much and wanting to be a success so much that like, you kind of need someone that can pull off naive and earnest. Well, and I think Tom Holland's a pretty good pick for that. And he's not going to be so naive that you're going to be like, Ugh. but in the same breath though, too, it's a, a believable naivety.
0: Absolutely. And I think Tom Holland, first of all, it's great box office draw. I think. And one of the things that we always talk about me and Jesse, is I think we recast a Tom Holland in the breakfast club, he recasted him in Dead Poet Society. It's very easy to cast him in these 16 to 20 year old roles, even though he's 24, or 25, like you said. Yeah. Is, he kind of gets pigeonholed into that Peter Parker role a lot when we're doing it, you know? Yeah. And I, I considered him briefly. So I went a different route. Obviously, the original Mitch Taylor was Gabriel Jarrett, and he was 15 years old when he took this part. So he was very, oh, wow. very young. And he, it was really his first leading role. The next time I think I remember seeing him was in the Karate Kid 3. Daniel punches him in the face at a nightclub. Um, He didn't really have a great career after this. This was like his big role. Yeah. But I was like, I wanted somebody who was going to be that 15, 16 year old and really come across as 15 or 16. I, I didn't want to make any bones about it. Like I didn't want anyone thinking this was an 18 or 19 year old kid because it's very important that he won the science fair at a young age. He graduated at a young age. He's smarter than all his classmates, just like Knight who is probably getting a PhD at 21. right? And, yeah. the, and, and so that's what I wanted to kind of really encapsulate. And it was hard for me not to smile because I went with Noah Schnapp from uh, Stranger <laughs> Things. I actually think that, you know, he fits that bill very well. He is 16 years old in real life. I think that he does have that Mitch like awkwardness. Yeah. I, I feel like Tom Holland's actually a little cool. Like he comes across a little bit as a jock almost. He's kind of nightish as well. Yeah. and i wanted my mitch to be such a strong contrast from my night because they are in the film i mean mitch is oh, yeah. so nerdy corduroy pants you know and yeah yeah Knight's like hey we're in you know whatever baggy shorts and flip-flops you know?
1: yeah yeah no actually i'm so happy that honestly i was gonna say this but i'm so happy that you picked that because <laughs> like like i said before that was my original pick <laughs> so uh, we were both thinking in the same ballpark even though josh was able to switch me But yeah, no, I honestly, I hate to make a commitment this early in the picks, but I would honestly say, I think paired with who could be the the first one, I think Noah Schnapp is probably the smarter pick in this. Not that Holland's a bad pick at all, but you're right. He's kind of played those characters enough that Schnapp is is a fresher face and he could play vulnerable very well. I mean, obviously, Stranger Things. I think also another thing to consider, too, if this what we're recasting was to actually be heard by someone and then they decided to take our suggestions, because that's the way I like to think of it, say that like they were to take our suggestions and go make a film and try to get these people. I think Noah Schnapp would be a better pick because this is the kind of role that gets extra eyes on him outside of Stranger Things and allows him to have utilized what he's good at within this role and then maybe be be able to go on and do other things and not necessarily be typecast. But yeah, no, I I like this pick very much because he's the actual age and he doesn't seem like he's the kind of actor that is going to let himself get stepped on, stepped on, but he plays vulnerable very very well.
0: Right. Like he's not going to steal the scenes from our lead. Is no,
1: no, no. And plus, it would, I, I think it would be fun for either of the first uh, the first pick, either of the ones that we got to sort of see one of those two guys be the older guy to sort of lead him around. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, most definitely.
0: <laughs> so the next character we have is Professor Jerry Hathaway, played by William Atherton, who was 38 when he took this role and he'd started acting in 1972. In 1984, he did Ghostbusters as Walter Peck. And of course, 1988, we see him in Die Hard as Thornburg, the TV reporter who gets punched at the end. And (laughs) he always kind of plays that douchey kind of guy. And it was so perfect in this role. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, just the funny line about how he has the degree. That's why they're laboring. Or he says something, I think, to maybe if you had tried harder in life, you'd have a house like this, too, or something. Yeah. And he just plays that character so well. As somebody who I actually believe was probably a child genius himself at 18, was enrolled in or whatever, 16, maybe got to college. He strikes me as somebody who's very, very intelligent. And the direction that Mitch was going before meeting night, he was going to become Professor Hathaway, you know, is the way I looked at it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, that and also, okay, there's sort of a progression when it comes to that. If you don't mind me interjecting, yeah. Laszlo was Hathaway's first attempt at forming a, a young child genius. Okay. Helping to form that. So Laszlo and then Laszlo realizes what Hathaway is doing and drops out before that shit can happen. And then he gets his, gets his claws into Knight, and the Knight sort of figures some of it out. And he sort of gets into that partying. I don't care. Just want to be a normal guy thing. And now it's like, he's gotten tired of Knight, And now he's trying to do that to Mitch. And then Chris Knight sees what's going on with, with that. So it's kind of weird to see like almost how parasitic in some ways that like Hathaway is. He he takes the genius that he wants, uses it till when he gets tired, then he finds someone else. So he has like these these bodies of like academics strewn behind him. See, and
0: I didn't feel like he recruited Laszlo. I actually felt like they might have been contemporaries at college because to me, the character of Hathaway plays about forty years old. As I mentioned the actor was thirty eight, but he plays about forty, like a young professor. And yeah laszlo kind of plays about 40 as well so i thought maybe they'd even gone to school together i know that knight does tell a story that laszlo found out that the things that he was working on were hurting people and that's what caused him to snap but i thought it was medical more than than the lasers
1: yeah i they played that sort of very loose so i think that's open to interpretation but i I agree it could have been like you said it could have been a contemporary but i do agree with what you're saying though about hathaway he gets what he wants out of the, the the geniuses that he has and then he sort of like slowly casts them to the side. So there's definitely that part of his character. Yeah.
0: And so I wanted a, again, a young professor, somebody who's arrogant, smarmy, rich guy with a degree. Mm-hmm. And I went with somebody who is pretty well known. And that is Tom Welling, who was in Cheaper by the Dozen. One and two is Charlie Baker in draft day as Brian Drew, but probably most famous as Clark
1: Kent in Smallville. Oh, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. For me, that's a large leap from Smallville, but the other films that you're saying make sense. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've i never really seen him like necessarily do Jerk, so that's kind of cool. Do you think that would be a step away from his normal sort of thing, or, or do you think?
0: No, I, I think that he, again, as the role of Clark Kent in Smallville, Smallville had a lot of very dramatic moments. And yes, Clark is always the good guy, but he does have his coming of age and learning how to deal with his powers while going through puberty and all that whole thing. And we do see him kind of with a little bit of an attitude towards his parents, towards some of the teachers. and So not so much like Hathaway, but obviously he's a teenager, so we don't really know. I just like his characters that he always plays do seem to be a little bit upper middle class or better, even in Cheaper by the Dozen as Charlie Baker. Like I said, he's, I think, the oldest child or he marries into the family. He comes across as a little bit of he's not blue collar guy he strikes me as a white collar guy and so that's kind of why i wanted to go with somebody because this is a definitely a white collar position yeah
1: oh yeah 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 this choice kind of catches me off guard but, th- but it's a good thing though do i think he has the chops to kind of pull that off yes i do you think he has the chops wow <laughs> um hmm. okay yeah no 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 i I, I, c- I could see that i could see that the choice that me and josh had made was someone that i think that you can appreciate we still kept it within, like you'd said, the 40-year-old the age range and everything. Oh, the word I wanted to use a moment ago was, uh, it, do you think that's him playing against type? You know what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of, okay. So with this one, the, our choice for Hathaway that I'm going to give to you is, I'm not going to say it's totally playing against type, but for what we've seen from him, it's going to be playing against type. And the person that we chose is David Harbor. Okay. Yeah, you know, we've seen him be very fatherly with the whole Stranger Things, right? And then there's been the whole Black Widow that just came out. We've seen that he sort of has a gruff look, but this would be a role that David Harbour could do that would further his star. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because it would prove that he he can do more than just the maternal likable character or just the gruff sort of strong guy. This is maybe sort of the more harsh, manipulative side. I could see him pulling that off. And I think even if we were to have Harbor to play this role, if we cast him, we could still keep it. Like you said, very white collar. However, I think it would be important with someone like Harbor to let him keep some of the scruffiness, like to show that he's been doggedly pursuing this laser thing, you know, Mm -hmm. this project. I think if you let him play against type and you let him play jerk, you might be pleasantly surprised. Kind of the same same way that I feel about what you just said about Tom Wellington. I think this is the kind of role for either of these guys that allows them to play against type and allows them to, like, give themselves even further roles beyond this movie. This sort of allows people to see them in a different light.
0: And I think it's a great pick. I actually don't think that it's that against type. As it might seem, because even in his role as Hopper, we still see like when he interacts with Carrie Elways as the mayor. Right. Like, yeah, he is in the know. He's smarter than what you're giving him credit for. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's very Jerry in this in this film that we see him as the antagonist. But what we don't do when we're watching the film is we forget how smart Jerry is. Because we've got these two smart leading roles. Jerry's incredibly smart. Yeah, and I think that gets lost in the film. And I think that that's where David Harbour is so perfect because his intelligence is so subtle in the roles that he plays. It's there. We can see it and it shows itself, but it's not his shining light. And so I definitely see that. And The other thing I like about David Harbour, too, is I feel like when Hathaway walks into a room, it's evident that he is the big man in the room. Like he's the one in oh, charge. Yeah. And Oh, yeah. Even to the point when he's on screen with Val Kilmer, it's clearly, no, this is the star of the scene is this person right here. And I feel like David Harbour has that about him as well. He, When he's on screen, he has such a very imposing and strong presence on screen that he would easily command that kind of attention.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Whether it's Wellington or Harbour, whoever steps foot in that scene, like you said, you know, Hathaway clearly like demands the presence in whatever scene he's in it's hard to pick someone that's as good as William Atherton and at playing jerk. You know, there's definitely people in the ballpark, but like, he seemed to be like the it guy at that point in time.
0: Yeah. I think every generation has their it guy. I'm not sure who it is right now, but there's always somebody, I mean, it's like, you know, Javier Bardem always plays a bad
1: guy. There's always like the guy, you know? Yeah. I, I could have seen like easily had this been maybe someone who would have been a second pick for me too, would have been like Jeremy Piven. He always plays jerks. He always plays. Yeah, I could, I can see that, but, but yeah, I I like both of our picks. I think both of our picks could be, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really like the David Harbor that that I chose, but, but I I can see, I can see how both of them would work either way. Definitely. Oh, the the important dynamic I need to think that I was going to say too, before we move on to the other characters is I think it's also important to think about how Hathaway plays off at least at this point in time in the casting with Knight's character. Mm Mm-hmm you know, who do you think would play off of each other as well? So that's an important thing to consider. Right. You get to lead us
0: off with Kent.
1: Okay. He's another guy that I got to say, I love how snivelly his character is. <laughs> like this guy is such a brown nose ass kisser, you know? <laughs> and it's hard not to, not to sort of like smirkingly like him too, you know?
0: Kent, I need you. Anything, Jerry. What?
1: What? Oh, uh, do you want me to teach your sophomore class for you?
0: No, I need you to do some duplicating, get copies made of all the data so far, so the young Mitch here can get started. He's going to check everything tomorrow. My pleasure.
1: And then after that, you can step by my cleaners. Don't give it a thought. I enjoy it. The original person that I had chosen before me and Josh discussed it, Tom Felton is one of those guys that feels like he would be kind of perfect for a role like this, but My brother brought up a good point. He said, okay, it's kind of the same thing that we had said about some of the other characters like Tom Holland. Mm -hmm. Uh, It falls into that thing with him, is that I've seen roles where Tom Felton can play authentic and where he doesn't always play snivelly. He's like every Harry Potter character I've seen so far. He's trying to play against typecast so that way he can show that he's known for more than just what he is, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like after talking with my brother, I feel like if I were to cast him in this, then as much as I like him for the role, it's just going to push him in that same barrel. Right. Right. So my brother brought up a suggestion. This is a guy that you and I might know era wise. He's still old enough to be a Kent character, but he plays snivelly and and sort of underhanded in his own way, which I think you would appreciate which is uh, Jason Schwartzman. Okay. I could see him. If you put the right sort of like a pair of, you know, Warby Parker glasses on him, maybe some braces <laughs> just, you know, sort of yeah, have him wear like the little sweater vest. You know, I think he could play very sort of like underhanded, constantly scheming against Mitch and Chris very well, especially from some of the other roles that he's done in the past too.
0: You know, it's funny when I think of Jason Schwartzman too, every time I pull up his picture, I always think that he's kind of like a cross between Adam Scott and Jason Lee. <laughs> oh, Okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah just very, like i said very snivelly they have that kind of you know again i, I like to say douchey i say douchey a lot that's yeah the yeah kind of no no at. no
1: exactly exactly that's how kent is like yeah. the guy that was originally in in the film robert Pres- prescott yeah he's like when they casted him he was perfect for that role just because he was like prescott's character like for kent was almost even sort of like pouty did you feel that too yeah well you said snivelly i thought that was that perfect word yeah he thought he he would always have like the best comebacks against Chris Knight and Chris Knight just like would bat him away with not even a try right and he always seemed to be sort of like off put by that you know pissed off even <laughs> right. and plus plus the during the film the, the the shit that the whole gang pulls on him is just classic the whole like this is God speaking part
0: I want you to think about what you've done, Kent and from now on
1: stop playing with yourself it is god ma chef's kiss <laughs> whoever wrote that
0: <laughs> yeah no i like uh jason schwartzman a lot in this i can definitely picture him like you said the, make him up a little bit to you know yeah. make him with the braces and the glasses and whatnot and maybe give him some
1: blonde highlights
0: yeah sure well it doesn't have to be blonde but i mean even kent seemed a little bit old to be in college maybe he was like a ta or something yeah and but although he was actually a student because i know him and knight were competing and i thought that some of his snivellessness came from the fact that i feel like him and knight were in the same class like the same grade and i feel like coming in with knight maybe he even felt like you know oh this is the wonder kid right here and yeah. there's part of him that's kind of taken over the role of doing everything for jerry and kind of working on the laser thing and being the forefront guy in that yeah thinking like oh this guy knight's not so special even though knight's like 10 times smarter than kent you know yeah, um, yeah, but I can definitely see him kind of and he was actually originally what I think of him because I had seen it before I saw this was bachelor party. He was Cole. He's the one that the future father-in-law hires to like break up the marriage between Tom Hanks and his girlfriend.
1: Oh, and, OK.
0: But so he always plays and in that when he's kind of just like a smarmy like tennis pro type guy. <laughs> he always plays that kind of role. He does it really well, surprisingly. So he plays this college student. He was 38 when he did this role. Oh, wow. So he was a little bit older. Um, he was also in Joy of Sex. So I'd mentioned the director kind of pulling some of her actors over. And when I saw him, I thought, you know, he, somebody who's nerdy, but there's an arrogance about him because he's the king of the nerds. You know, yeah, he's a little bit of a bully. So he was missing like that fragile nerdiness that Mitch has. Mitch is a fragile nerd. Yeah. And I felt like Ken is kind of like a bully nerd. Like he's a little bit bigger and older. And maybe he got picked on growing up, and so now he's older, so he's gonna pick on the younger kids to make himself feel better, like a typical bully,
1: which is due to his
0: insecurity, exactly. And kind of yeah. like a, I thought, a prep school valedictorian, maybe, yeah, um, kind of, <laughs> kind of a suck up. And and so when I was going through the the person that I came up with for this role actually usually plays a good guy, but there's elements of his character that is similar to this, and really the only movie that this character, this actor's ever done, his name is Skander Keynes, and he's twenty 29- nine. 29 years old and when he was eight years old he was in uh, a ferrari movie he played enzo ferrari as an eight-year-old but what he's most famous for is playing edmund in chronicles of narnia which is (gasps) kind of like such a crappy little kid and he has aged perfectly where i think he could still play a college student and i think that he still looks smarmy and he just kind of played that kind of character as edmund
1: yeah yeah like him in the the white queen the turkish delights how he's so willing to turn on his brothers and sisters yep yeah oh my god that that that's actually a pretty good pick i like i like mm-hmm. that I, I could see that i think he's not that we have to make a decision because I'm pretty sure that like you kind of leave other than what we discuss. I know you leave that up to your fans also, but I hate to say this, but if I was going for like an age appropriate thing, I would probably go more with your pick because not that I dis I I don't dislike Schwartzman whatsoever, but I think your pick is younger and he definitely, yeah, he definitely has that. He definitely has that vibe about him. Like you wouldn't want to leave him in a room alone. Uh, on his own <laughs> yeah, type of thing, and that's very much a Kent vibe.
0: Yeah, definitely looking out for his own
1: self-interest first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, no, I like that pick. I like that pick.
0: <laughs> um, I get to lead things off with Lazlo Holyfeld, who is such a great character.
1: Oh my god, yes, film. yes. And yes. obviously, you bet and he's so John vulnerable Craig. too. He
0: is, and obviously, we get to see him after his breakdown. Knight brings it up that he had this breakdown after he realized that he was hurting people. And then he started like living in the basement or whatnot. And there's kind of a an innocence about him of not wanting to grow up. But there's still an adultness about him as well. I, I don't yeah. know what it is because I think that maybe he graduated and then he kind of everything happened. And then he went back to the college and just like lived in the basement. Um, yeah. But I really loved the character. I felt like. You know, like I said John Grice. People who don't know him, they should because not only did he play this character, he was Wolfman in the Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. Although IMDb lists him as Desperate Man in that movie, and then he was Uncle Rico, right, in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. So we think about him uh, saying, you know, when I was your age or when I would played in high school, I could throw a ball a quarter mile. You know,
1: yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah
0: oh man. His characters are iconic, and I think that if this movie had been bigger, this would be the iconic character from the movie was Laszlo. Loved him a lot. Again, just really kind of weird and eccentric. I had, you know, uh, living in this like, with a roller coaster that goes down like an elevator to where he lives. Him Door. doing the, the contest, right? Like he's like, oh, if I fill out all of these things, you don't have to purchase anything. and I'm going to win 32.6% of the prizes. These are entries into the Frito-Lay sweepstakes. No purchase necessary enter as often as you want. So I am. That's great. How many times? Well, this batch makes it 1650000 I should win 32.6% of the prizes, including the car.
1: That kind of takes the fun out of it, doesn't it? But they set up the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, I really liked him a lot. So I figured he's going to be around 40. Again, uh, John Grice was 38 when he took this role. So I figured the character was around 40. He has to come across as being a genius. But he has to be awkward and there's something likable about him. And yet something that makes you stay away from him. But then once you get close to him, I don't know. a it, kind of a weirdness there. Like you have to break through the shell to get to the human inside.
1: Yeah. If you don't mind me interjecting, I'm going to say the reason I like Laszlo so much is some of the same reasons that you listed. And Laszlo, I mean this as a compliment towards John. Okay. Mm-hmm. Laszlo is The best parts of John as a person magnified. If you ever got to talk to him, like, like we were lucky enough to interview him, he's very warm, you know, he can be private in general, right? Once he knows he can trust you, he's willing to, I mean, he's obviously approachable because we were able to talk to him, right? You know what I'm saying? But, but he's, he's a lot more lively than you would take him to be on first approach. When you first think of John Grise because of the character John Gries because of the characters that he's played, like you said, there's sort of that quality, you know, that sort of like hesitance to approach, but then the warmness, mm-hmm. and and I think like what people say about actors, where sometimes actors just take who they are and turn it up to eleven. I think that's kind of the thing with John. So when you said that, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking like, oh my god, yeah, this is Laszlo, and not always, but in most ways. Is really kind of like John just putting a lot of himself into that role. A a lot of that quirkiness, a lot of that sort of oddness that makes you pause at the beginning. But then once you start seeing you smile and you're like, I get this guy, I get him, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the actor I went with, actually, I feel like the first time I'm introduced to this actor, I didn't like him, but I liked him. You know how some people play a bad guy Mm -hmm. and you, you hate the villain that they are. But you love how they play that role. Like there's something endearing and yet hateful about them or hating about them. So, the opposite, I would say, of when you think of the guy, the kid, Jack Gleason, who played um, the Lannister boy there in Game of Thrones, there is really nothing likable about him. Yeah. Nothing likable. Oh, yeah. But then there are some bad guys that are so evil, but there's something you like about him and you don't know why. You're like, why do I like him? He's horrible, you know?
1: Yeah, like, like maybe a vulnerableness
0: maybe that's it and with this particular character it's a a charisma that i really liked about him when i first saw him yeah he's done a lot of tv csi jag walker texas ranger but what he's most famous for the actor is jeffrey dean morgan is playing megan in the walking dead and just such a hateable but likable guy and when i was scrolling through actors and trying to think who i wanted for laszlo I said, I'm going with this guy because not only does he look the part, but he's got something about him that I really, really love about him. And maybe it'd be nice to see him in a good guy role, which would make him a little bit more lovable.
1: Yeah, I'm not against that. Like, I'm honestly not against that pick because I've seen him in likable roles. A good example I can use out of that list that you were saying where he plays someone likable is uh, his little stint on Grey's Anatomy. Okay. Right, you know, you know, you know which uh, character arc I'm talking about. It's, I'm a, it's a, I,
0: I haven't seen Grey's Anatomy, so.
1: Okay, well, um, luckily I have a, a wife and a mom-in-law, so <laughs> I've 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 watched some Grey's Anatomy, and he plays a character that is in need of like a heart surgery, and one of Grey's Anatomy's characters, like Izzy, falls for him, and he plays a very sort of like vulnerable but charismatic character in the little arc that he plays during those episodes. So yeah, he can definitely pull off likable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I could see that if you, you know, maybe put not all, but some of the aesthetics of Laszlo. I think the idea with what we're doing is more or less, we're going to kind of want to try to modernize it right for today's right. world, I guess. Right. So, you know, there's obvious, you know, the, the hair can go one way or the other, whatever. But I do think Morgan could definitely, he's charismatic enough that he can, he can play off like what you were saying. And also maybe he kind of is old enough to understand the sort of quirks that come with the original character was. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. It's actually, you know, because I think actors that have got to play both sides of the spectrum kind of have a, an appreciation for, for what they need to put into the role. So yeah, I could definitely see Jeffrey Dean Morgan doing good in that. The one that I'm going to pitch to you is this whole week, I've been having a hard time not just telling you <laughs> because it's one of these surprise picks. But I do think that this could be a breakout role for for this personality. I'm I, I'm not even sure that he's done acting yet, but I do think he has the right kind of personality to play Leslo and the person, and oh, and also the right academics. And you'll get what I'm going to say when when I t- say his name. The person I chose for Laszlo is George Watsky. If you see some of his more recent photos where he's got sort of longer hair and he's grown out a little bit of the beard and he first got noticed like online on YouTube, but also through like Ellen. And then he's also released a lot of his own rap. He's a spoken word poet and he legitimately can rap like very decently, but he's got a very approachable demeanor. He loves his fans, but he also kind of has an appreciation for sort of uh, privacy, too. So I think he could be a surprisingly decent pick for Laszlo. I think if you gave him the opportunity to sort of jump into the character, I think that Watsky could pull that off. It's it's kind of an unconventional pick, but but I I, I think it's maybe got some legs.
0: Yeah, I'd have to go through and maybe watch some interviews with him and watch some things to kind of get a gauge on his personalities cadence the way he carries himself things like that i mean i know i did jeffrey dean morgan a very similar looking actor again very eccentric i was thinking sasha baron cohen you know would be very good in this role as well but yeah i would have to go and type in george Watsky on youtube and probably go through and like watch some stuff to try to get because obviously with the, the Laszlo character so much of it is personality driven i mean i know yeah. I, I want the guy that has a beard but it really doesn't matter it's it's there's a a quirkiness that has to be captured right?
1: That's kind of honestly what spurred me too on, on the Watsky thing too. I'm just using this as an example a lot of people that are considered white rappers definitely get a label put on them by people already, but he doesn't really operate within that for him. It's less about trying to be, it's more about the music for him. It's more about trying to be inclusive. And I kind of feel that that's the way that like Laszlo's character was too. It was like Laszlo didn't want to hurt anybody. He seemed like he was still, like you said, almost kind of had a Peter Pan quality to him. He's smart. He knows what things could go wrong. He doesn't want anybody to be put behind the eight ball. He's smart enough to know what the world has in store. And maybe that's kind of what makes him a little bit insular is that he doesn't, you know, he's keeping some of these horrible things to himself so that other people don't have to be exposed. You know, you know, does that kind of make sense with the Laszlo character? Yeah. Because, because it kind of makes sense. Like when he pulls Mitch to the side and he's like, you, you realize what he's doing, right? You realize, Like, this is why I I stepped away from things. He, you realize this is, this is what a Hathaway is doing. He's using these lasers for this and that. Mm -hmm. And, and it was what you had said earlier, whenever you and I had talked where like, you know, how did some of these kids not know and everything? I I think that's just more within the story. That's kind of like, maybe they thought that like something like that could happen, but for them, they're thinking, well, come on, this wouldn't happen at a college level type thing. Right. And that's kind of where they realize how driven Hathaway is.
0: Right. And then, like I said, and we talked about it in the chat too, is like I said that just the naivete of the characters didn't fit well with me because I felt like people who are really smart become knowledgeable because they ask a lot of questions. Really smart people ask why and how a lot. That's their two biggest questions. So when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm having a hard time coming up with a laser, that generates x power i need a laser that generates x power in real life a character like chris or character like mitch the first thing they would ask is why yeah you know and i felt like they didn't ask that question and it wasn't until laszlo said well what do you think they need it for you know chris is like who cares we graduated yeah yeah. they started thinking about it for a second and i'm like
1: wouldn't they have thought about it really early on yeah yeah no no and 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 i agree with what you're saying there i mean it's by no means is it perfect you know what i'm saying like th- th- it's it's kind of one of the parts of the script that is there because it it has to work to make it work you know what i'm saying but but yeah no i agree with you i kind of feel like though yes the naivety kind of like does bug me a, a little bit too but i think to a certain extent i think there's a part of chris that kind of knows that hathaway could be up to something but there's also a part of him that kind of doesn't care until he has it put like right in his face yeah. There's a part of him that goes, you know what? Not my problem. You know, I'm in party mode. I'm just going to get this shit over with and go somewhere else. I think the person that's really affected by the naivety more in that moment, I think, is Mitch. Right. Although, although I agree with you, though. You're right, though. But it, it, the people like that would be the ones that would be asking the questions. So if it was one thing that could be changed, because cause I know that we talked about this pre-episode, I think there could be some tinkering with how that's revealed. Like maybe. Some hints earlier on in the film, if you were remaking this film, some hints that eventually maybe, maybe hints along the way that they're sort of curious about would make that seem a little more realistic. Right. Like, l- l- like sort of like if we were to re- refilm this, then I think maybe you could have Knight sort of like having this inkling, but never really being like, nah, I don't think he has the power to do that. Mitch could still be affected by it the same way. But yeah, I think there's some retooling that could be done, be done on that.
0: Well, what I would actually, the way I would tweak it to make it work to my liking, I guess is yeah. what I would say is, okay. So they know up front that they're making a weapon for the military. They know it up front yeah. and they know that it has to be a certain, like it has to be able to cut through a tank or something like that, because we're having a hard time getting things to cut through a tank. But I, what I would say is that when they create this laser, that is, as hot as the sun, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's when they would have pause because now it's like, okay, hang on a second. Because if this is shot at the moon, the Earth is dead. If this is shot at the Earth, maybe it hits the tank, but then it cuts right through the middle of the Earth. Like this is way too powerful to be used. So that's where they would have the they wouldn't have the issue with the military using it to kill people because they knew all along that's what they were doing. They would have a problem with how destructive it could be if misused.
1: Yeah, and and I think that maybe the way that you could do that is maybe have that revelation kind of quietly weighing on their mind. Like it just came to them and they're at like the restaurant. I think it is, is where they meet up with Laszlo. Yeah. Yeah. And then Laszlo sort of voices to them when they're talking, what they're thinking. And then that's where they kind of commiserate over that. I'm with you. I think that would maybe be in terms of a recast. I think that would be more, more realistic, but for what it was at that point in time, at that age, I can see why they kept it the way they did. But but I do agree with you. I definitely do agree with you on that. But you know, I mean, it's give and take with with movies. I mean, it, you'd be surprised what's left on the cutting room floor. You know, so okay. so I mean, the, the, even even with this sort of like oversight, they still make the movie work. Though there's still a lot yeah. of a lot of humor and everything. Exactly. Yeah. So oh, you yeah. have uh, Jordan. So the person that we had picked, Abigail Breslin, had it been a younger Abigail Breslin, I would have said. Yes, and that's who I thought of originally. And then then we were gonna do Jeanette McCurdy. Yes. But then Jeanette McCurdy stepped away from acting because she's kinda got burned out on it and she wants to do directing. So we ended up choosing someone that made me sort of laugh because I had heard you guys talk about her as an actress whenever I was listening to your Rounders episode earlier. I ended up choosing Chloe Grace Moretz because I think she's still she, she's right age wise or at least able to to play someone who's believably, you know, as young as Jordan. Jordan is a very sort of like quiet, mousy, almost, but curious, you know, and still has a romantic interest. And I could see Chloe Grace Moretz playing opposite Noah Schnapp and it not feeling creepy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's, that's kind of who we went with because we know she can kick ass from the movie kick ass, you know, and we know that she's done other characters, but I think it would be nice to see her play a character where she still gets to contribute. Like she did, like uh, Jordan got to in the movie, but where she still gets to be a little vulnerable. Mm -hmm. She gets to be the the smart girl that catches your eye. That's kind of what I felt with, with Jordan, but with Jordan, the character was, was that like, you know, she, she's not the girl that, that you look at and you perv out over. She's the girl that you look at and you're sort of like, wow, looks and smarts. This is a kind of girl that I could commit to. And that's kind of it's, it's, it's kind of where I think maybe Chloe could step into that well.
0: Yeah, and I like her. Obviously, I, I think we casted her in Rounders and uh, I do like her character. I do think that she does have that vulnerability and I think that she would play the role the right way. The main thing, like you were saying, is that She's quiet, she's mousy, but I also think of her as a little bit hyper. You know, there's a hyperness to her. Obviously, her character seems like she drinks a lot of coffee, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) uh, yeah. (laughs) And I feel like Hit Girl kind of has that as well. Like there's an energy about her character, not being able to sit still, just kind of walking around a lot. You know, just kind of
1: a chaotic energy. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. But something likable, I guess, for me, it's I feel like she's too pretty, I guess. And I understand what you're saying. Like she's pretty and smart, it has that combination. And yeah, for me, Jordan's character—I felt like she wasn't very pretty at all. There's something about so, and this is a credit to the director too, who again got a lot of these female actresses from her other roles. Yeah. There's a very strong sexual vibe to all of the female characters in this role. In, in their, oh roles. yeah, and it's and it's a power. It's like a it's a sexual power that they have, like very feminist, right? Very in control of their sexuality. Yeah. Um, so she had that. And I think that was the sex appeal about Jordan is that there's energy about her, like I said, a sexual energy about her, but on the surface, her looks. I know you said, you know, that's what you're going to perv out about. That'll be Susan Decker, who we'll get into. But uh, yeah. yeah she, She's definitely, she has a sexual energy about her, but I felt like she wasn't attractive to me. She actually reminded me a little bit of Winnie from the Wonder Years, right? Oh, and okay. Kind of, yeah. Kind of a plain gene, but smart. There's something attractive about her intelligence, there's something attractive yeah. about the way she carries herself. So that's my only thing is Chloe Grace Burnett to me is very, very pretty. And so when I was looking for an actress, I was trying to go with somebody who I didn't think was pretty, but who also had that same strong sexual vibe, which really came about at the end of the series that she's from. And that was Maisie Williams, who was in Game of Thrones as uh, Arya Stark. And she, at the end of her Game of Thrones, she kind of has sex for the first time, right? With the, the the guy who's the blacksmith or whatever. And I felt like, she became a very powerful character in that film and that's kind of what i was looking for from her she's she looks mousy on the surface and she looks kind of plain but there's a a raw energy about her
1: yeah yeah no no actually i i could see that working well and plus she doesn't look too far from the original character she doesn't look too far looks wise she still kind of fits that that quirkiness or she could fit that quirkiness i could see that working i didn't consider that until you just pointed that out but yeah no that's yeah. I'm not against that pick at all. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, like I think had a, you know, had this been, like I said, again, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you might've picked someone, like you said, uh, the girl from the wonder years that might've been someone who would also have been a, a good sort of plug in for that. Right. I like that. And and I see what you're saying about Chloe too. I guess for me, I, I'm going to clarify that real quick. The, what what I mean by the whole like pretty and smart is I I think Jordan's one of those characters where like, you're right. She's not like stunning. I'm not, I don't necessarily mean stunning, but like you look at her and and it's kind of like all the parts of her that make you fall for her, Mm -hmm. which I think leads into what you're saying. She's one of those kind of girls. Like she doesn't need to be all dolled up even without makeup. She's pretty. And it's not just her looks. It's, it's who she is as a person. It's her intelligence. It's, it's everything about her. Like she's, she's a well-rounded female. And instead of just relying on looks necessarily
0: right so that brings us into our uh, susan decker character who is the, the young co-ed that we meet for the first time her father is like the admiral whatever it is and knight goes over to the house to have the conversation with jerry where he's telling him that he's failing him even if he passes and he has a little bit of an exchange with her right where she says can you hammer a nail through a board with your penis and he <laughs> says uh, he says no you're not yet <laughs> and she a A girl's got to have her standards, and that's when he's like, oh, she is a very smart girl.
1: No, seriously, listen.
0: If there's ever anything I can do for you or more to the point to you,
1: you let me know, okay? Can you hammer a six-inch spike through a board with your penis? Not right now. A girl's got to have her standards.
0: And that, (laughs) of course, then leads later to when we find out that Jerry's sleeping with her. uh, When he goes over to tell him that he's got the laser all figured out, and she comes downstairs, and she's like, Jerry? And Knight goes, hammer later. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. i thought that was great so she i felt again i had a kind of a college co-ed very young and attractive uh desirable by night who seems to be very superficial we see he has the bikini girls come and visit them at the party oh yeah so, <laughs> so he's he's kind of into that kind of thing very sassy right very sassy confident kind of person and i went with somebody who's not very well known but neither was deborah foreman who played this role she was 23 in the role she had done a couple of ex- episodes of tj hooker you know she yeah. hadn't really done much so my character is Kiernan shipka who is 22 years old and she's played a handful of characters on jimmy kimmel live she was jody in the carriers kathy and flowers in the attic she kind of has almost like an emma watson look to her um yeah. so that's kind of who i went with for her again these last two roles i considered throwaway roles even though they're somewhat important characters
1: yeah, I'm with you. I'm not fully familiar with her, but she definitely looks like she could fit that kind of, uh, on a superficial level, she looks like she could fit that sort of role. The, the person that I chose, me and Josh chose, like, and I told him that, like, these were, like, the same thing you had said, kind of like what you guys consider throwaway roles, is uh Zazzy Beats. Okay. Yeah, because, like, part of the reason why is because, like, she kind of falls within that age range where she could still play that and it not seem, you know, out of sorts, and... Also, even though this girl tends to be more superficial, Zazie b seems like she could play someone who's confident with her sexuality. Like, have you ever seen any of the Deadpool stuff? Yeah. You know, she's a very sort of in charge female in her role in Deadpool, and I could definitely see her having fun playing that type of character. You know, especially like you said, the encounter with like a girl's got to have her standards. That part with <laughs> I could see her playing that very well and sort of comedically well too. so yeah yeah i I think either either one of these could could work out pretty well yeah yeah for sure i like zazzy
0: beats i think the only thing i would see her because obviously i've only seen her in deadpool and having her almost like dumb it down a little bit right because Mm -hmm. uh, the character of domino is very in tune with who she is she knows quite a bit the character of susan we see her obviously she seems kind of an earhead until she says that line to Knight, right which is why he says she's smart because the first thing i think knight says to her is he says something to her and she's like what
1: Listen, uh, Jerry asked me to drop by. What did he ask you to do? What? Which word didn't you understand? Are you here for the meeting? What meeting? I don't know. Okay. So, so yeah, if Zazzy played it, it would be sort of like dumb with a wink.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so I guess uh, you've got Sherry Nugel or Dougal, however you say. Okay, and this is this is the girl that ends up with Laszlo, right? Correct.
0: And I have a question about that when we get to the end of her thing.
1: Okay. Now this is someone that my brother chose. I was kind of hands up in the air on this because I think it's it's important that, that but you know, like Laszlo even ends up with, with a girl who's just kind of also pretty though too, you know what I'm saying? But like appreciates, appreciates him even though he's quirky type thing. So I kind of let Josh take the wheel on this one. And Josh's choice was uh, Ariel Vandenberg. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not fully familiar with a lot of what she's done. However, looks wise, I could see her. I've seen some of the, some of her sort of stuff on Instagram and her being funny and stuff and everything. And she definitely seems, you know, sort of like smart and pretty, but I think she could play. I don't think this role would, if she were to take this role, I don't think it would hurt her. I I mean, I think she's charismatic. I don't think it would be the hardest role. And I don't think that taking a role like this would hurt her chances anyways, because I don't see it as like really a heavy lifting role much. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, for sure. She actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Elizabeth Banks. She has a little bit of that kind of look to her. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think, yeah, smart and sassy, not even sassy, just smart and but nerdy maybe almost, because I think that when we first introduced her, her character, it's at that very beginning scene when Knight is interviewing. She's the lady showing him around the, uh, oh, yeah. the complex. And then later we see her in Mitch's bedroom. That's the part I didn't understand. She's like, I'm here for you, Mitch. And I'm like, uh, who is this woman? I didn't understand like what she was doing there.
1: Uh, I, I think Josh explained that to me. I, I think she has been low-key following Mitch in terms of like his progression, in terms of how smart he is. And she kind of maybe is like attracted to smart guys. So, someone that's flashy, like you know, Knight's character. Yeah, he's smart, but he's also kind of, like you said, he's also a bit superficial, right? Yeah. Someone like she could be one of those people that's like very sort of like Loki attracted to. Uh, and, and I'm not going to say that's necessarily pervy because she would be a little bit older than him. But maybe it's the attraction to sort of it's partial the attraction to 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 nerdiness, but also the sort of like old young dynamic sort of thing with her, which I think is, is a very sort of feminist way to approach that too, because a lot of the time old and young comes into play. People always kind of picture that as like the older guy, younger girl. And in this case, it's kind of the older girl, younger guy type thing. Of course she ends up with Laszlo. So that still ends up with her being, the younger girl, older guy, I think, but I, I think, I think that kind of dynamic is what's in play. And I think that she maybe mistakenly, I just, from what Josh has, said, I just know that she, it seems like character wise, she's just been kind of following uh Mitch's character and his success. And she sort of like maybe sees a vulnerableness that she likes and Maybe it's that, too. I think maybe that's kind of her character, too, is that she's attracted to the vulnerableness in somebody and what she sees, because like in that moment, Mitch is very sort of like, oh, what the hell? What's going on here? <laughs> right? right. You know, and like Laszlo, I'm, I'm imagining whenever they eventually probably hit it off. You know, there's probably that initial thing with Laszlo, too, even with him being an older gentleman. Yeah. So, I mean, th- 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 I, that's kind of what I would think that would be maybe the best explanation I could provide.
0: It makes sense, and I understand what you're saying now with her being attracted to the intelligent guys because I do think she hits on Knight during that interview. Well, you certainly don't act like one of the top ten minds of America. Really? How many of them have you met? Seven. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. You'll be eight. Professor Hostetler at MIT was number six.
1: Oh, Professor Hostetler? Isn't he dead?
0: He is now. Yeah. It it strikes me that yeah, maybe she is in this thing where she has she conquests the intelligent guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's her type and everything. So, which you know, if you think about it, casting wise or even within the story, that that's a very sort of like feminist type of thing. It's like a girl not being apologetic about going after what she wants. So, who did you who did you have for this though?
0: Yeah, I had somebody not really well known. I mean, she was in uh, Underworld: Rise of the the Lichens, and that is uh, Rona Mitra. You know, she's 45 years old. I feel like she's going to be that older cougar type. Was it she was Emma in Game Over Man? I don't know. I've never seen that. Sophia in Hard Target, too. I didn't know they made a sequel to that movie. <laughs> um. So the uh, but she just kind of plays again. It's a throwaway role. Just looking for kind of like that cougar type role, but not too, yeah. too attractive. I didn't want like Halle Berry. You know, I wanted somebody who was Oh yeah. more yeah. plain. Yeah.
1: I mean, now that we've kind of explored that character a little bit, like I can kind of see y- your person fitting a little more well with who we've chosen for laszlo you know not, not that i'm I'm against ariel vandenberg but the person that you brought up seems to, a, a little more in that type like she seems very sort of like cougary and, and, and i don't quite get that feeling from ariel from some of the stuff i've seen of hers i don't quite get that feeling likable yes attractive yes but not necessarily cougary. But like, I do like the fact that Sherry's character has that quality about her. So yeah, I I, I kind of like I kind of like your pick, honestly, more than I like the other thing. But that's not a diss to my brother either, though. That's <laughs> I I just kind of like your pick a little bit better.
0: <laughs> and that's the full cast. But I know that you also mentioned maybe recasting the soundtrack a little bit.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. So here's what my suggestion was, and I tossed it out to uh, to Josh, and I just wanted to see what you thought about it the original soundtrack at the end of the movie, everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears. I don't want to totally wipe that from the map. However, what I'm suggesting is that if let's say that we're making this for the 2020s, right? Then what we need to do is still give a nod to the tears for fears. What I would do is at the beginning, like whenever Mitch is getting ready to go to college and whenever you see Chris Knight waking up and doing his, silly sort of bachelor shit yeah you know, right maybe you can hear them both waking up on their alarm clocks to everybody wants to rule the world that's the wink and the nudge to the to the original song mm-hmm. and then at the end whenever all of them have come to the realization of of what the laser is going to do and come to the realization of just dealing with coming of age in college i think a song that would be appropriate is uh, the used taste of ink. Okay. Yeah. At the end of the film, whenever like the credits are rolling and that's whenever the whole, everybody wants to, you know, rule the world like that. I think that's a kind of song when it came out, I think early, mid two thousands, I believe is when it was. It's very much a song about whenever they finally found success. Burt McCracken sings this. It's very much like all in one breath which I think matches the chaotic sort of energy in the film, right? Is the whole, like, is it worth, can you even hear me standing with your spotlight on me? Not enough to feed the hungry. I'm tired. And I have felt this for a while now in the sea of uh, lonely, the taste of ink is getting old. It's four o'clock in the fucking morning. Each day gets more and more like the last day. Still. I can see it coming while I'm standing in the river drowning. This could be my chance to break out. This could be my chance to say goodbye. At last it's finally over couldn't take this town much longer being half dead. Wasn't what I planned to be. Now I'm ready to be free. And I thought to myself without taking itself too seriously, those lines kind of like resonate with what every one of those characters is going through. You know, it's, that's very much a college thing. You get so mired in what you're doing. You get so caught up in your academics that the eventual, this is the feeling that you're working towards. You're working towards that feeling of wanting to, achieve something so that you can finally breathe and be free and go do what you want to. So uh, as an updated sort of song, I think that would be perfect because it like the lyrics itself even kind of encapsulate what they're going through. And really, if you look at it through any lens, whether it's Laszlo's lens or Mitch's lens or Chris or even Jordan's lens, each one of them could touch that song and still, it could still matter to each one of their characters. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know like, if you think that would be a good idea or not. or
0: I mean, lyrically, and I'm a huge lyrics guy, not to go too far down a, a rabbit hole, but like when I listen to music, that's the first thing that I pick out is the lyrics uh, of a song, which is why I'm such a big country music fan, right? Because the, the lyrics are so important to that music. Whereas oh, yeah. they're not as important to say, rap. I mean, I love rap as well, but like the lyrics aren't as important as long as the beats good, you know, and the flow is yeah. good. And so when I hear lyrics like those, I get a very Lincoln park kind of feel like very dark, depressing. Like this is a person who's struggling. And when you're saying now I can, you know, I didn't mean to be half dead. Now I can finally be free. It sounds like they're killing themselves.
1: The lyrics seem depressive whenever you just hear them from what I'm saying, but the way that Burt McCracken sings it and the way that it comes across musically as the song builds to the, the whole being uh being half dead. Wasn't what I planned to be. Now I'm ready to be free. That, they're nearing the end of that chorus it's more hopeful than it is depressive okay so 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 it's like the chorus builds and it feels like da 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 -da, you know like 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 each thing is something that's being weighed on them but when he gets to that line it sort of like loosens up and everything so it could definitely be an, an interesting approach i i just think if they do nowadays it seems like whether you were to choose this song or another song, whatever you would choose to like, replace, everybody wants to rule the world. I think in today's world, less everybody wants to rule the world is more sort of reaching it on a very broad scale. And I'm going to say kind of sort of pandering even to the listener or the watcher of the film, right? Nowadays, a lot of films, it's almost sort of like implied the films being made for the watcher. There could be a good job to, of taking a chance of for finding lyrics that maybe play into the validation of what the characters are feeling
0: all right well, we had a great time recasting the film uh, with uh, Michael from hypothetical a,
1: a what if podcast
0: a what if podcast and now if people want to reach out to you, where would they go about reaching out to you?
1: Okay. Well, if you want to send, uh, if you want to go ahead and visit our, uh, web, our webpage, I'm sorry, would be, um, www.hypotheticalpod.com. If you want to send us an email, it's at gmail.com. We also have our Twitter account is at podcast underscore what if, and our Instagram account, which we don't check as often. But we still like, you know, interacting with our fans is what if dot podcast. So if you want to reach out to us, uh, just go ahead and either send us an email or leave us a message. in either one of those places, more than glad to reach back out and talk to you. Even if you want to pass a message on to uh, Wayne and everything, feel free to send it through us. If you want to, too, we'll make sure that it gets to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You guys have a great uh, hypothetical that you want to throw out there if they haven't done it already. I'll. Definitely shoot it over and say, hey, uh, somebody suggested this would be a great one to talk about.
1: Sweet, sweet. Uh, I've, I've had a fun time talk, uh, talking with you tonight, Wayne.
0: Yeah, it's been great. And uh, like I said, there's a fun movie to recast. I appreciate you being on the show. It was really fun. And like I said, we'll definitely have to uh, – maybe I'll come on and do a, a what if with you guys at some point. I'll try to think of a really good stumper.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, if if one comes to mind, just go ahead and uh, drop us a line. You know, uh, DM me and – I'll talk to Josh and we'll get you scheduled in and we'll, we'll go ahead and do that.
0: All right. Sounds great.
1: All right. Thanks, Wayne.